Welcome to the GP Excellence podcast series for PCN Development. This series is brought to you by the Greater Manchester Primary Care Provider Board. Today we are talking about how to improve customer service. We have been working closely with customer service experts Interdigitate to learn how we can enable outstanding patient experience and create effective frontline operations. I'm Janet Castro-Giovanni. My guests are Simon Merchant and Scott Malin, both directors of Interdigitate. Hello, Simon and Scott, and welcome. Hi, Janet. Lovely to see you again. Hi. Simon, can you briefly explain more about the service? Yeah, sure. So uh, Interdigitate is a consultancy service that is based in the northeast of England, Our job is to help customer service environments and patient environments to optimise the patient experience and the end user experience. It's a bit of a fancy way, really, of sort of saying that it's all about helping users to get a great level of service, but not at the expense of the people who are running that, making it cost effective, making it efficient and making an offer that really works for both parties. Uh, And we've worked with Greater Manchester Primary Care Board uh, over the last year or so, and it's been a real pleasure to to do that and to help the 67 primary care networks to, to look at themselves. So we invited you, got to know you because you were recommended to us and invited you to come along to Greater Manchester to uh, work with us. And we have 67 PCNs in Greater Manchester, so the challenge is always big. And we had COVID going on a two, which made our challenge even broader. So you worked with uh, a number of our PCNs, those who wanted to work with you in detail. And then we've, you've also looked across our PCNs at their external interface, their websites and their systems. And you came up with some recommendations for us. So could you tell us a little bit more about what you found in Greater Manchester? Scott? Of course. Firstly, I think the process itself of actually talking to the leaders was, was often uh, referred to as being quite cathartic taking time for the the leaders to actually reflect on what had gone before and and reflect on what their plans were uh, and where they were trying to get to. Some of those discussions were quite good at at allowing us to challenge them in different ways, uh, to understand what the plans were and and, uh, and whether or not there was any opportunity to improve those. But I think firstly and, and probably foremost, the the actual exercise of talking itself um, added great value. I think it did. And in doing so, we found some really dedicated teams out there. I think it's very obvious that the primary care environment is very stretched, but you know that's catered for by a team that is extremely caring and very de- determined to get the right outcomes. And I think over the last 18 months, we've seen lots of new tech deployed at huge pace. And frankly, it's a, it's a real sort of tribute to the NHS that they've managed to roll out a huge change to the way of working in such a short space of time. But of course, that's had a really big impact on the operational models. And the result is that that's led to a, a sort of almost a bit like a, a, a bit of a shock, really, in terms of, well, how do we now do primary care? And in some cases, I think we felt that this has led to some of the de-skilling of the front of house teams. And whereas you had sort of receptionists who had been really had lots of experience and lots of skills in looking after patients and the patient pathway, perhaps they'd now moved to an environment where they were doing a lot of form filling, you know, for the sake of making uh, online solutions work. 
And having made great strides in things like navigation techniques, it became a real needs-must environment in the last 18 months. And we actually now think it's time to revisit those plans, look back at navigation and centralisation, and to look at the expertise we have in primary care and how to really sort of use those in a way that's really, really positive going forward. So not walking away from the technology that we've seen deployed in the last 18 months, but learning to use it and learning to harness that technology and the experience of the last 12 months and combine it in a way that creates a much stronger, much more agile offer going forward. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you saw that was really good and a little bit more about what the opportunities are just at the moment so we can really harness um, that, that opportunity? Sure. I mean, what we've seen is that the pandemic has really taught us that practices can really come together and really support each other way. And it's really, really positive, especially obviously at a time of national crisis. There's not really any bigger way to test yourself, is there, than a national crisis? And people have found out a lot about themselves. I think that was a really common theme of the last 18 months, Janet. I think that they also learned a lot about their neighbours in a way that they didn't, things that were going on next door that they didn't know was happening. I think really what was quite warming for us to see was that there was obviously new and long-lasting relationships forming. You know, we hear stories of people in a vaccination centre meeting people at other practices um, and you know becoming friends over the course of the year and, and that then translating in them wanting to work together. So I think at a ground level, we, we found that the strengths and were becoming really clear and we're building in a really positive way. Yeah, and I, th- I think some of the challenge there is then how do you sustain that and, and move that further forward in terms of harnessing the opportunities in the longer term? And I think we would probably promote uh, that the PCNs try to continue to think as one, look at the challenges in terms of the, the, the wider resource, the wider opportunity and, and how they can actually um, support each other to harness those real benefits that have come from working together to create a bit of a single entity. Of course, at the moment, there's a huge pressure on demand. There's unprecedented uh, levels of contact into primary care. And one of the real things that primary care needs to focus on at the moment is having the right people in the right place at the right time to really support those patients um, as they're coming through and take the pressure off the staff. We we have seen that probably across Greater Manchester, a lot of the practices are are addressing this individually. They're looking at these things themselves and and, and trying to overcome these these obstacles themselves. And and in many cases, they're having some success. However, we'd ask them to, to consider if they can actually work together to reduce the pressure on their staff, reduce the pressure on practice managers and reception teams and create a more unified um, approach moving forward, which would have significant benefits on the patient experience uh, coming through, but also uh, to reduce the pressure on staff. Can you give me some examples of what that might be? If you think of, um, for example, say resourcing, in terms of resourcing the, the reception teams in, in, in majority of areas, they'll have an individual within a practice who is actually uh, responsible for understanding how many staff need to be uh, on shift, where those staff need to be on shift. And then they're trying to, to address peaks in demand. They're trying to address a spike on a Monday morning. They're trying to address, uh, you know, maybe high sickness or absentee on a, on a Friday. And when you speak to, to all of the different PCNs and you start to speak to lots of different practices, although they, they seem like isolated incidences, you actually end up in a situation where you see that pattern repeated. And if you could then harness that and say, well, actually, as a PCN, we're going to have an individual who is responsible for looking after that resource coming through. They can then look at the, the wider aspect of that resource and say, OK, right, we, we have 
These are our peaks, these are our troughs. Um, you've got one individual who's focusing on it. They've got more time because obviously they're not being stretched in other areas. It's creating capacity within the team for other administrative staff to, to pick up other, other duties. And overall, you, you start to get a little bit more of a holistic view of resource and holistic view of how you actually operate and, and respond to your patient demand. Is it not the case that some practices see themselves as really unique and individual within their community? What difference would that make? Absolutely. I think this is, this is possibly one of the barriers. I think if you consider what technology um, can do and the role of technology at the moment, how that can protect that local look and feel. If it a patient is actually contacting by t- telephone, for example. There, there, there are systems and protocols and processes that can be put in place so that the patient doesn't actually know that they're not speaking to their local surgery, but you can have that receptionist answering that phone, accessing the patient's records and then providing that information forward to the patient in a very unified manner that protects that local look and feel. I think you're right, Scott. I think um, in our study, we saw lots of examples of PCNs who felt they had a unique set of challenges, you know, a unique population, a unique dichotomy of, of, of an offer and something that was very special to them. And I think that's understandable because people are invested lo- locally in their local population. But thankfully, I think that solutions um, are similar. I think that actually it's a relief that, you know, centralisation, navigation, resource planning and data-led solutions are, are all common and all a single approach. And you can do that now in a way, Janet, that doesn't actually impact that local feel. We're not suggesting you suddenly turn into a huge contact centre operation. I think what we're saying is there are things that are common that can be done in certain ways, a way of working, a process, an approach that is can be really natural and can be really rewarding because you've got people all working to a common goal in a way that is, is very obvious and delivers really, really good benefits. So yes, you know, protect that local look and feel. You don't have to give up your identity but there are ways in which you can work together as a team, as a, P- as a single PCN, that actually really does help you to pool resources in a way that's really, really positive. Sort of leading on from that as well, obviously, one of the, the, the key aspects in terms of that local feel and, and maintaining that, that support is to provide the best service and, and the best experience to the patients. Uh, but sometimes if you pool those resources and uh, you operate um, and you start to look at some of those efficiencies and look at some of those gains that you can achieve, it actually creates capacity within the, uh, the, the reception teams to focus on care, to focus on the patient, rather than focus on how many calls are in the queue or you know, sort of how many tasks need to be picked up. Yeah, you're so right. It's so about, you know, moving away from that transactional approach, that process approach and creating that space to provide really good positive care. It's so right. You know, people think, you know, I don't want to change the way I work. But actually, imagine if you become more efficient and you become you know, unified in your approach. Imagine what you can do if you create that more time for your staff to think about how they really want to care for their patients. It's, it's really powerful stuff, really, when you think about, well, what can I create in terms of patient experience? You've talked about the the resources and centralising resources. Tell me a little bit more about navigation and and what it means to have a different navigation service. What does it look like? Yeah, I think that's um, something that's interesting. For for, for us, navigation is about uh, exactly what we're saying there about 
moving away from the overly transactional, but giving the same, the right amount of data and information to the to the people that need it and putting it at their fingertips. So for us, navigation isn't just about total triage. It's about saying to members of staff who are on the front desk, you are the first point of patient care. And actually, what information do you need at your fingertips? And how can we give that to you? And by giving you a simple, very effective solution to use that doesn't require, you know, lots of clicks, lots of working through multiple screens, gives you the answers to the patient's, patient's questions creates that space for people on the front end to be individuals. And, you know, for us, patient care starts at the moment at which you make that phone call or you go online and you, you talk to someone and ask for the help. And and you know, for us, you know, good care will make someone start to feel better from the moment you say hello. And that's what navigation really is. It's about empowering your frontline teams to get the information they need really quickly, but importantly to be themselves to be individuals and to really sort of be really nice people that make people think you know I'm in the right place and these people are going to look after me. So if one of our PCNs wanted to start on this journey and they're empowered by what what, what you're saying and, and the conversations you've had what do they need to do what data do they, do they need to collect to start to make that journey and make a change? So I think what we did find from the study is, is that in a lot of areas, um, the PCN network is, is very much data rich, but insight poor. And I think there, there, there is a huge collection of data, some of which is, 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 is known, some of which is not known because it's been collected by systems that are being used, but it can't actually be accessed. And I think when you ask the question there about what sort of data do they need to understand, it, it's, it's starting to build data in terms of those patient pathways, those that, that patient route to care uh, workload within the team. So how much time or, or, uh, is being taken for a, a receptionist to respond to a specific task? How does that vary across the way in which patients contact the surgery? Understanding that you've got a wider use of technology and, and, and more more accessible routes into to care. Um, it's understanding where those where, where that workload sits and making sure that it's not duplicating, that we, we're not simply spending three minutes speaking to a patient on the telephone to send them to an online platform where they're then contacting and then we're taking another three minutes to deal with that patient to, to get them through to a clinician when potentially that's, that, that, that's duplicating the effort. But I think the biggest opportunity with data for us is that there is a lot of data there, but actually it's turning that data into insight. So the leaders, the managers uh, within the, the, the practices and within the PCNs are all very capable of, you know, sort of skilled in terms of understanding what needs to happen if demand goes up or if, if this happens. But sometimes getting to the root of that data is, is a challenge and sometimes getting the, the data itself is actually a, a bigger effort than, than using that data and then informing it through. So I think the biggest opportunity we, we saw with data is... is um, pool that data, look at central resources to bring that data in, collect the data from the back end, remove that onerous task from um, your practices, remove the onerous task from the, the PCNs and actually convert that data into insight so that the clinical directors, the practice managers, reception leads, etc., they have the information at hand so they can make informed decisions to drive that forward. They know where resources needed, when that's needed, and importantly, they understand where the pressure points are with the, the, the team. You know, they know if, if somebody is becoming overworked and if there's capacity elsewhere within the team um, to relieve that. So yeah. some of that can be um, picked up through observation. So having a third party observation for a short amount of time in practice, would that be how it would work? 
observation it provides a view of the opportunity and certainly some of those pinch points can can be taken but what we know with demand you know across all different businesses is that it fluctuates and it varies and what we know with with resource as well is that that can fluctuate and vary um, sometimes the productivity of an individual can can dip naturally because of, of um, other influences within the life etc so that initial intervention is very good to create a, an idea in terms of where to focus but what we would suggest as a longer term measure is to actually start creating a culture where data is gathered and used and, and uh, a culture that we're using the insight that is provided to make informed decisions and we're not assuming that the workload that was there three months ago is exactly the same as it is now and the pressure points are exactly the same as they are now. We, we know that changes and, and, and a culture of using data will support that. I think uh, I think it's interesting word data, isn't it? I think it can strike fear into people. And actually, we really need to create a sense that data is good and how can it empower you and what can it tell you that you didn't know. And um, where we see, we've see we seen people talking to us about the work they've done, they've done those observations or they've taken time to do a time in motion or to invest a bit of time in, in, in understanding what the data is telling them. There's this real sense of empowerment. And we actually met some, met some people across Greater Manchester who had started doing this. Um, and it was really, really great to watch. It's always that spine tinkling moment you know when all someone's doing this and people were re- had rearranged their work day because they discovered for example that they were looking at their blood results uh, you know at the busiest time of the day and they'd done that for 20 years and when they asked why do we do that that way the answer had been well because that's when we do it and when they looked at their day and looked at the data and looked at what was possible they'd realized they, they didn't need to do their blood results at nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday they could actually do them at three o'clock there was no clinical risk there was no um, in danger to the patient service and no expectation in fact from the patient that you know you'd be looking at results at nine o'clock in the morning and actually that simple change of when they looked at their test results, totally data-driven and totally insight-led, uh, resulting in a completely different way of running their operation. You're absolutely right Simon, you know data for um, can mean lots of different things can't it? And you know practices will be managing data, their clinical data for example, their quality data that's coming through is how they uh, ensure the quality of their service is right and that they are delivering what's expected of them through contractually expected of them and lots of that they would probably understand as their data. Could you give me some examples of some of the key data points that they could start that somebody could start to collect tomorrow that would help them in the navigation journey? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of that sits on the front line. It's looking at you know the, the basics of when are, when is most of your demand coming in. Now that's not a challenging place to start because most people will know what the natural pattern of their their call demand, their patient demand is. Everyone knows they're busy on a on a Monday morning, a Thursday afternoon, and a Friday afternoon. But actually, also then go the next step to look at well, okay, what have we got that's available to us, and you know why are we letting you know certain people in the team perhaps not be on duty on a Monday morning? You know how are our contracts? working for us. Now that doesn't necessarily stand out as a particular data source, but actually look at, you know, your people, where they are and where they need to be. And, you know, in, in our world, we talk about this terrible saying of, you know, bums on seats, but that's the reality. When are your bums on seats and how effective are they being when they're there? You know, are people coming in on a Monday morning and checking their annual leave when really you need them answering the telephones? Are people taking extended breaks, looking at the, the behaviours of your team and, and, and how you can 
support them to realize the impact they have in a positive way. And I think that's the other thing as well is that, you know, you mentioned their clinical outcomes and clinical targets. And obviously, people are very focused on those because that drives the funding. But actually, we always say, you know, how do you then break that down into something that's meaningful for the people on the front line? And you might say, okay, you know, our, our, our challenge is to reduce obesity or to, or to improve cancer outcomes. But actually, you've got to convert that into something that means something for the front line. So, you know, your role to play in reducing or improving cancer outcomes is to is to answer the phone quickly is to make sure that you identify the signals and the signs that say this is an important patient and I'm going to prioritize them and as a, a non-clinically trained person your role is as important as the person who takes them through that clinical process I don't know what you think Scott do you, do you agree with that no absolutely I think if we're going to put a recommendation through I think the recommendation would be looking at the volume of work coming through, where is that workload coming through? What's what's the volume of patient interactions? What's the volume of, of emails? How many people are walking through the door? There's there's, there's a true volume there. And, and actually, there will be a correlation between the volume that comes through the door and the number of patients who then subsequently end up with a, a clinician or, or, you know, sort of be, being signposted to, to a secondary service. Um so if you understand that volume coming through the door and forecast that volume, that's a, that's a real, a really, really important piece because you can then start to see any changes there and how that can work. But I think as Simon rightfully said, if, if you know, when you're looking at your operation model, you want the volume coming through the floor. You want to understand where your resources and what your resources do. And importantly, um, sometimes you can have 10 people in, 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 in the reception. And you can say, oh, great, we've got 10 people. But if all 10 of those people are you know, responding to, to tasks um, away from the telephone system or you know, in the back office and nobody's at the reception desk, then those 10 people have become slightly ineffective in terms of supporting the patients. But then it's workload as well. It's really, and I think that that's really key for uh, primary care networks is to understand how much effort um, is is involved in in dealing with a patient, and that's not just at the, uh, the the clinical level in terms of the clinician dealing with the patient and in, 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 um, uh, and discussing the, the needs for care. It's also throughout the operation, throughout the wider operation, in terms of responded to the patients coming through the door the administrative tasks that take place and 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 that workload gives you a real sense of what resource is needed and if they don't marry up you can then start making informed actions to make sure we take the pressure off uh, and, and as simon said we, we move move workload around the week if we need to could you give us any quick examples? I know you've worked with PCNs all over the country and you've worked intensely with them outside the COVID environment when you've been able to be inside uh, the practices and inside uh, the working environment. Could you give me any examples of where that has really made a difference and uh, the practices have reported a real change? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, we, as I sort of said at the start, you know, we worked in places like Northumberland. Uh, we're working in, in Plymouth, um, and I think uh, you know we're always looking for that change, really. And I think, you know, I guess if we were to talk about our clients in Northumberland, we talk about you know the fact that we've centralised all of their eight receptionists into a single uh, navigation centre, and the impact was phenomenal. You know, exactly the things we were talking about there. About we'd seen people who were really keen to protect their local identity, really keen to look after the local 
local people in their local receptions and really couldn't see how it worked. And over a period of sort of six months or so, we took them through a, a quite inst- extensive training program whilst also helping to set up the practical side of a centralised operation. And that actually, believe it or not, went live the first week of the pandemic. Um, I mean, if you're going to go live with an operation, um, you know, first week of pandemic is highly unrecommended. But we went live and to see a situation where we have uh, long wait times for patients, extended uh, complaint issues and people really quite frustrated with the service offer they got to a situation where actually complaint scenario turned around and patients were proactively praising was a real sense that we'd made a difference. Um, And I think that's really the real opportunity here to hear a patient say, oh, I thought I'd got the wrong number. Hang on a minute. This has taken four minutes and it's all, you know, I'm normally on the phone for 40 minutes. Um, What a wonderful change. You know, that's the sort of impact we're talking about. And, you know, that's the opportunity that I think that, that GM has got ahead of it. But it does rely on taking those brave steps, Janet. It relies on somebody saying, okay, let's go with this, you know, this is the art of the possible and let's see what happens. And, you know, in Northumberland, our client absolutely took that step and and they're, they're reaping the reward now of having everybody in the same room everybody coachable, everybody focused on the patient experience and really sort of seeing seeing those positive changes happen. And I, I think, you know, that there are plenty of opportunities around GM where that could be easily replicated at, to, to the benefit of the patient experience. Yeah. I, would, I would probably just go on from that to say that, that you know, obviously as part of that centralisation process, Simon touched on there, um, they moved to a navigation centre and it was about empowering the receptionists and that was a really brave step for them to take. But I think after the first week of launch, they reported a 40% reduction uh, in unnecessary GP appointments. And to look at that patient experience coming through on the front end, but then to actually think that 40% of that, that created capacity with the clinical resource, you know, sort of, so, so they were able to, to spare more time and, and, uh, and see more patients. But it also indicated that 40% of those unnecessary appointments, those patients actually made it to the right area first time, you know, sort of, they, they, they didn't have to wait, go to see the GP, and then for the GP to tell them that they actually need to go and see the midwife. I think it's interesting that as well that that reduction of the and the impact on GP resources is quite interesting because during the pandemic what we've seen is you know let's get some uh, online solutions out there and let's move to total triage well that's putting your most expensive resource in right in the firing line and actually now what we're seeing is GPs who are uh, not only stretched from doing their own day-to-day job that you know they went to uh, train for for an extensive period of time and you know and they're really passionate about it, but they're also really stressed about the fact they've now got a triage list to clear down every day you know with with hundreds of patients on it and feeling quite powerless about what they can do and that's the real theme of that we're we're now moving to with our other clients is you know how do we now free up that GP resource again and and the answer is in the reception team you know you've moved away from your reception teams or your patient advisors whatever you might call them um, and you've put it in the hands of of the GPs well actually let's trust those people on the front line you know they've got tons of experience they're as passionate about the patients as as any clinical member of staff is and they're there to make a difference and and really that's what we think the the opportunity is and where the opportunity lies Simon and Scott thank you so much and thank you so much for your time today and it has been great working with you and hope we continue to do that well thanks for having us today and thanks for giving us the opportunity to share some of our experiences thank you Jonathan thank you My thanks to Simon Merchant and Scott Malin, directors of Interdigitate. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and I picked up many useful ideas to empower your team to create a better experience for your patients. For more information, go to the episode page where you'll find lots of useful links. 
don't forget to search for GP Excellence podcast series wherever you get your podcasts and follow or subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening and we hope you join us again for our next episode.